2: This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner
3: Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as uh, we roll into part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes our roundtable regulars. On the left, Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always, always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back. Thank you, Don. And joining us uh, for today's edition, uh, political operative Bobby Clayton Walton. It's always a treat to have you with us, Bobby. <clears throat> Thank you. Thanks, guys. Okay, just before the uh, the rollover into the second uh, half of armchair politics, we were talking about um, the. Uh, GOP uh, candidates, and and whether or not uh, a uh, non-endorsed primary candidate uh, from this this early endorsement convention um, could rise and win in the convention in August um, and end up being the candidate uh, over the person that's been picked so far. Uh, for example, in the case of uh Michigan Attorney General, there were two candidates. It was very close at the uh, nominating uh, or endorsement convention. Um I just looked at the 54 the got 54% of the vote finally in the
4: second best second balloting round. I just pulled up the story here. So it was it was close and it it took a couple yeah. of yeah. rounds of voting. Against uh, but, Tom
5: but, but Yeah. And when you're done with that conversation, I'd like to go back to Bobby Clayton's power point about uh, the, the local candidates, uh, Matt, you're uh, in our own county and, and the young Republican of this, this county is attacking the Board of Health and so on and so forth. Well, and the conversation but, uh,
3: grew out of a conversation yeah, about yeah, whether or not yes the Republican did. Party was going to split into two parties and or, or whether it would just continue on. Uh, completely dominated by the influence that Donald Trump has had. Okay. Now, but, you know, ahead. I.
5: Okay. Uh, with respect to Matt, uh, our own leader here in Genesee County, he's a smart guy. He is really good at what he does. And you have to, if you ever watch this guy work, he's only 24 years old, but he is really good. Um. He conducted the, the local convention here. He was a temporary chairman, did a great job on that. And, and yet the party is divided because you have the old guard and the mix with the young guard, who now are the young people who are leading the party and inspiring the party. And they're moving in directions that fast in the direction that they want to go. And Matt is in charge of that. And people gravitate behind him even though he has the schism you know, within our party here. He, he does a good job in, in uh, keeping people together. He can bring in the right kind of candidates of, of a reputation and uh, hold their interest and hold the, But the only thing that's missing in Matt's party, I don't see uh, people of color, and he has to work on that. But he says that he's going to go uh, tackle the city of Flint, and he's going to uh, put candidates to run against uh, people in the city of Flint for uh, positions of uh, responsibility. Now that's unique,
3: Henry, because and I, I've always thought that that should be. You said you uh, said something there, Henry, that that I wanted to go back and pick up on. You talked about uh, Matthew Smith, who's had some some problems, but but. You know, he is a smart and talented young uh, member of the of the local GOP. Um, and you said he recruits the right kind of candidates. And I wanted to go back and pick up on that. What are the right kind of candidates <laughs> in this day and age, on the right or the left? Uh, well,
5: obviously it's the people who join his cause. I mean, are we He's talking about...
3: Are we talking about candidates that back Trump? Coming? Are we talking about candidates that can win, that can raise money, yeah. or are we talking about, um, you know, people who have some some really good and fresh ideas?
4: Or are we talking about sure. hardcore Trump supporters? I
3: mean, if yeah, from, from yeah, yeah. See, guys, you
5: know, I can't answer that. Uh, that is uh, too much to undertake in a single conversation. Yet, but Matt knows where he wants to go. He knows the people yep. he wants surrounding him. He wants, to, and he wants to be more like Trump than he is like Henry Hatter or anybody around this table here. He's, and he's, he's got the, the will to do that. He's got the political will and the political drive to do that. And so, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's headed in a direction that if all young people move in the same direction uh, that he's moving in, we're going to see a different Republican Party in four years, and yeah, uh, not a better one, no. But but you know the the irony is, as long as uh, President Trump is is being uh, criticized by others, I'm I'm afraid that the uh, his, his longevity and appeal will diminish over time. Because you already see that
4: that's happening. Yeah, that that's my hunch too. Is just to, uh, I mean, it's, so uh, who knows? It's a, there's a celebrity uh, factor was, there, but
5: but if he comes back and he wins all of these seats around the country that he's chosen, people look out. Mm. There's your president. But he he's he done well in Michigan. But he needs to uh, uh, he needs to tone it down the Lorette. And stop talking about uh, the election was stolen,
4: stuff like that.
5: We could. Yeah, well,
4: Henry, that. at the convention, was there was there much talk about the uh, the election of 2020? You know, the the uh, idea that somehow that was the stolen election, all that was it was that
5: yeah, a major. Yeah, that, that was in small groups. Yeah, that, that me, was talked let, in caucuses. Yeah, but, me... but as an overall thing, the Republican Party never touched
3: it. Let let me hold on that um, uh, that thought right there, and and enter this next uh, this next little segment because it it deals with that whole thing about uh, um, the legitimacy of the twenty twenty presidential election. A Michigan appeals court made quick work of efforts to review an election conspiracy case from Antrim County unanimously dismissing most of the arguments made by lawyer and Republican Attorney General candidate Matthew DiPerno. It's the latest ruling from a Michigan court turning back legal efforts of uh, supporters of uh, President Donald Trump who continue to claim without proof that there was widespread misconduct in the 2020 presidential election. The three-judge Michigan Court of Appeals panel issued an order Thursday indicating it agreed that a lower court was right to dismiss DePerno's lawsuit pointing to a series of issues with both DePerno's legal tactics and pleadings in a case that drew national attention and yet is the stage being set for a relitigation of the 2020 presidential election during the upcoming midterms and the next presidential contest in 2024.
4: You know, what concerns me is that so many of these election deniers in the Republican Party are running for Secretary of State positions around the nation or similar kind of uh, uh, local, even local clerks who take care of elections. So, I mean, p- potentially you could have folks there who are quite willing to overturn an election. Uh, that's that's well, an effect, you know, I'm a not very interesting thing.
5: I'm not so concerned with the Republicans uh, going back and trying that again. Uh, Not the Republicans, but a candidate in the Republican Party because the Republicans uh, did not share those views, guys, remember. Uh, But I'm afraid that the Democrats would turn and say, okay, uh, if the president wins, Trump wins or the Republican wins, they'll declare that the election was cheated on. that uh, there was foul play. That's the thing that... And then the American people will surely be absolutely flabbergasted
4: mm-hmm. and
5: done with the democracy.
4: Yeah, that, no, yeah, yeah, if we lose trust in the whole election process in general, the damage is going to be enormous.
1: Yeah, we, be don't, right. we, don't, we hope that yeah. doesn't happen. <laughs> well, some people hope it does happen, Henry. I believe, and I'm looking, I look very... Um, Very seriously, what happened in France with the recent election with Macron winning over uh, Marine Le Pen, because she represents what I see uh, internationally being a right wing shift to more authoritarian government, less democracy, less uh, participation by the public, more uh, domination. I mean, looking at censoring of books and all kinds of crazy things going on here.
3: And yet the recent election in France kind of <laughs> went the other way.
1: Right. And so I'm thinking that by, tra- by trying to get people to mistrust government and mistrust democracy, even though people are trying to do that, it doesn't seem to be working.
5: Well, I hope you're right. I hope you're right. Uh,
4: I hope so, too. No, I don't well, not a worrisome side, Le Pen did better this time than she did last. I mean, she's still lost by a hefty margin. She market. did, yeah. Yeah, so the numbers, you know, it, it, in some I, ways, I, I'm I'm concerned. Where it's almost like we're entering the 1920s again, where you saw the decaying of some democracies around, especially around Europe in those years. In the same kind of thing here and there, I, it, it's worrisome. Uh, it is worrisome. I agree,
1: but I think but I hope. Um, I hope Mr. I think Putin with the Republican Party, it. with the Republican Party being in in the tension that they're in right now themselves um that's a sign that maybe we have a chance to move in and protect democracy before it completely collapses
5: well we hope that we'll get that chance uh i don't like the way the issues are developing in ukraine and the russia russia
3: well i think it's entirely uh, possible henry i'm glad you brought that up i think it's entirely possible that um you know some of these uh, internal nationalism struggles will be uh, distracted by World War Well, That's,
4: yeah
3: We're on
1: the edge of that aren't
3: we? We really kind yeah. of are but let's uh, yeah. but let, not
1: let's, impossible.
3: let's save that for the next uh, the next segment. A West Michigan senator who recently admitted to inappropriately grabbing a nurse won't seek re-election Senator John Bison, a Republican from Battle Creek told Gongwer News Service on Tuesday he has decided to spend more time with his family. <laughs> <laughs> the first-term senator had yet to publicly announce his plans uh, but faced an uphill battle to retain his seat in march he was sentenced to a year of probation after he pled guilty to a misdemeanor charge stemming from a visit to a medical office in twenty twenty one he also must pay more than eleven hundred dollars in court costs complete a mental health program and have no contact with the woman he grabbed inappropriately according to the ap Even if Bison had uh, decided to run, he would have faced tough competition from a fellow Republican lawmaker. House Representative Thomas Albert, uh, Republican from Lowell, filed months ago to run for the seat. Albert leads the powerful House Appropriations Committee. Republican Ryan Mancinelli of Alto and Democrat uh, Kai de Graff of Ada have also filed to run for the seat. The filing deadline is 4 p.m. I think this was 4 p.m. yesterday. But my question is, uh, has his family weighed in on whether they want to spend more time with him?
4: <laughs>
3: <Yeah>.
4: <laughs> they say no. Yeah. <laughs>
3: they never
1: ask the women <laughs> They, yeah, they never ask
3: the family. You get all these people that, that you know say, "Well, I'm I'm leaving public life to spend more time with my family," but we, you know, we never see the family standing around well, jumping no, go up ahead and, and run. down.
4: Fight with us.
1: Well, yeah, they show a photograph of a guy at the microphone with his wife standing off to his left, looking a little bit sourfaced. Right.
3: <laughs> or making a list of uh, a honey list.
1: Chores. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Well, hey, we've got uh, a break coming up here in about 45 seconds. So I uh, will, we'll just have to put everything on hold here for a minute while we let our broadcast partners at WFOV 92.1 LP FM Flint, uh, Squeeze in a few words or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages as well. And, and I will uh, say once again, uh, promote the, the show for tomorrow. Tomorrow is uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. And I have called the archives for some really interesting interviews from authors that have written uh, biographies and, and uh, so on about uh, people who lived through Uh, survivors of concentration camps and so on. should be very interesting. Hello,
1: darling. This is O'Vira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner.
6: I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive, and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab. Or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters.
3: The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19,
6: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
3: Hello, this
2: is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And
3: hey, welcome back, everybody, as we continue with today's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner Program with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, joined by Bobby Clayton Walton. Um uh, President Joe Biden announced on Monday his nomination of Michigan native Bridget Brink to serve as U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Brink a career foreign service officer has served since 2019 as ambassador to Slovakia. She previously held assignments in Serbia, Cyprus, Georgia, and Uzbekistan, as well as with the uh, White House National Security Council. The post requires confirmation by the U.S. Senate. The announcement comes as American diplomats prepare to return to Ukraine this coming week although the U.S. Embassy in Kiev will remain closed for now. Does filling that seat suggest an importance to U.S.-Ukraine relations?
4: I think it does. Yeah, yeah. I, when you, as you read her background, it sounds like she makes a career of taking on some very tough assignments.
1: As i yeah. about some
4: of the previous jobs she's held. Yeah, uh, yeah I have great respect for those foreign service officers.
5: How does she represent four or five different independent countries?
3: They, they, they're, they're, they're uh, you know they they're sovereign countries. They have different. Oh, she's held those positions at different times, Henry. Yeah. Not simultaneously. But can you represent all of them? Uh, no, she represents the United States represents in the US those and countries.
4: In those countries, yeah, and, and but they're all countries oh. that have some serious problems and issues and conflicts.
5: But she doesn't lobby for them more anyway. No, no. She was no, uh, no, no, no
3: she is the uh, US representative to Slovakia, okay. oh, to I, Serbia, okay. to Cyprus and okay. so on. Yeah. Well President Joe Biden has issued his first endorsement of the 2022 campaign cycle and backed incumbent Representative Kurt Schrader of Oregon, who is facing a a progressive primary challenger supported by some high-profile liberal figures and groups, We don't always agree, but when it mattered most, Kurt has been there for me, and in doing so, he has helped to pass much of my agenda into law, making a huge difference in the lives of the Oregonians he represents and all of America. Reads Biden's endorsement of Schrader, which was released over the weekend. The president said, Schrader, who has held his seat for 13 years, has had my back from early on and played an important part in the progress we have made as a nation. How much should a sitting president weigh in on midterm elections?
1: Well, I think we
3: expect them to, don't we? Yeah, yeah. Yes. again, that's for, for the loyalty
4: that's there. Yeah. But uh, historically, the batting average has not been great. I remember there was a great story with when Franklin Roosevelt tried to... Uh, his anti-New Deal Democrats from the party in '38, I think it was, and he he got he 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 was he, fa- he faced a beating. He lost an awful awful lot of those. So it, it's tough to, to to be successful at those. So I I think if you're a president, you should do that very selectively. Um, unlike Trump, who's out there endorsing left and right almost almost hourly, endorsing somebody. Um,
1: yeah.
4: So,
1: yeah, I think I, I think in, in Biden's case, I. When I look at a candidate or I look at, at a sitting person, I always want to say how effective are they in doing their job and how yeah. effective are they in making things better?
5: But yeah. Obama, he, he seemed to do it quite well. He supported the people he uh, thought should be reelected to the party when they had the majority, he go uh, out and bounced for them You know
4: Well, you need to build up your own support within your party, but as I say I would say do it selectively, don't. Don't yeah. just do do it and uh, randomly tossing tossing names left and right. Uh, and, yeah. But as I say, the the batting average of presidents has not been all that great for for both parties over the over the many years. They've.
1: Was that generally in the midterms only, for, uh, Paul? Um. I'm sorry. Was that generally in the midterms yeah. or was sure. in? it
4: in? Yeah, no, it's in the midterms especially. And again, particularly, in fact, one thing the Democrats have got to worry about this year is the first midterm after a presidential election is always a tough one for the party in the White House. And right. In, in, in most years, they've lost a lot of seats. Yeah. And so it could be a tough year for Democrats. There's no doubt about it. Oh, yeah. Well, we're we're going,
1: to, going to have to put our, our big bill pants on. Yes, exactly. What if, what if the White House has both the Senate
5: and the House? And it's and, and the settled economic issues, foreign policy issues, it's doing well. How do they how does the president that benefit from that? Does he lose still or does he
4: gain?
1: Well sometimes you? the information on that is so boring that people don't want to hear it. They'd rather talk about pedophilia and you know <laughs> sex trafficking and stuff like that. Uh, social issues.
4: Uh, it's- for Critical race theory or abortion. Or yeah, like yeah. yeah. The fact that we
1: are currently in a good economic uh, situation, even though inflation is worldwide, and we're certainly having a problem with that, um, people don't want to talk about that. That's numbers.
5: Yeah, but when you are on the winning side and things are going good for you, it's better
3: not to tamper with it. Right? It's better not to do what? I would agree with tamper. that. <laughs> if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And If it ain't broke, don't. Touch
1: it. Well, no, that's sort of my Obama personality style, gone. anyway. Pardon? I said, that's my personality style, anyway. <laughs> For Myers-Briggs, I'm an ES- ESTJ. Yeah. No, I'm an ESPN, excuse me.
5: Yeah, but I thought that Obama, as he was in the country, he was quite authoritative and mm-hmm.
4: the people that he supported. I don't but he had a hard time in, time in the midterms. Yeah, I his first midterm, he he took a he took quite a beating that first first midterm after his election uh, in 2010. Uh, so, and the second one? There have been a few exceptions. I think the one exception was uh, after 9/11. Uh, H George H W Bush saw a gain there, and I think Clinton may have done it.
3: No, after September 11th, that would have been George W. <laughs> Bush. <coughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, George W.
4: George, of course, yeah. Yeah, George W.
3: Yeah. Well, Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin insisted Monday that Russia was failing in its Ukraine incursion, with Austin explicitly saying that the U.S. wants to see Russia's military capabilities weakened. The two top U.S. officials speaking at a news conference at an undisclosed location in Poland near the Ukrainian border, made the comments following a trip to Kiev where they met with Ukrainian President um, Vladimir uh Zelensky to pledge U.S. support in the war and announced that U.S. diplomats would be returning to Ukraine. We want to see Russia weaken to the degree that it can't do the kind of things that it has done in invading Ukraine, Austin said at the news conference. So it has already lost a lot of military capability and a lot of its troops, quite frankly, and we want to see them not have the capability to very quickly reproduce that capability. Blinken told reporters that Russian attempts to subjugate Ukraine and take its independence has failed. Is Russia failing? Florida, well, sure. sure you're reading. Some people
5: don't yeah. believe. Yeah. Well, they're failing, but I think
1: they're causing so much damage and the possibility of of nuclear, the nuclear threat is very frightening.
5: Yes, yeah, that yeah. Is, that's the concern. He's got everybody buffalo, including me.
4: And I think he, I even, if they fight, forward, even if yeah. they get some kind of modest success in Ukraine, their economy is going to be so badly damaged for years to come that they're not going to be able to do an awful lot. So I think
3: well given the poor performance even, with the,
4: even if they take some of the eastern provinces which is a possibility i think they're, they're going to still face some real hard economic times for a long
3: time to come you know reports but have yeah. indicated
5: strategies to cut ukraine in half divided like north uh vietnam and south vietnam
1: north korea and south korea yeah. i i I think the whole—if you look at it uh, from a little higher perspective—the whole uh, petroleum industry uh, impact in Europe, and the fact that they're getting so much of their gas and oil from Russia, is going to play a big role in that too. And it depends mm-hmm. upon whether Germany and some of the others are able to cut back and and actually, you know, apply the pressure even harder. Yeah. Well, but, then uh, think about
5: what the Russian people are suffering. They're suffering themselves.
1: They're, they're of course
5: they are, but if they're supporting them, then a lot of them are. Think about, think about all the people who don't have jobs anymore, don't have an income, have bills to pay, you know, in Russia. It's
3: the same well, they thing shouldn't as be as supporting people. somebody that's
1: killing other people.
3: Well, they don't, I, you know, I don't know the dynamics, but... I, I, I to, would raise some question as to whether Putin has the support <laughs> that he likes to say he has.
4: Yeah, I, I, I've often thought, like I say, sometimes the, the uh, Russian oligarchs and some of the other powers that be may well feel they've had enough. and They may wait, wait a year or two after this is all done. But I suspect, uh, as I say, kind of like Khrushchev, that he may find himself gone after this is all said and done because he's clearly overplayed his hand.
1: Well, didn't we hear this, this morning one of the oligarchs has pulled out his support? Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I, heard yeah, that. I
3: haven't heard that oh. yet.
1: I think I, guess, I heard it this morning.
5: He was unhappy anyway. He may have not pulled out, but he was very unhappy.
4: Well, they're all being hurt financially in very, in very dramatic ways. I mean, they're losing a lot of their assets <laughs> and can't can't, uh, uh, can't move their yachts around the way they used to. or
1: <laughs> Fly their planes, yeah.
4: Yeah, but they
5: they have lots of money. You know, no, you don't have to worry about oligarchs. You have to worry about the the proletariat. Uh, guys, uh, I think hey, the oligarchs were right. Here's
3: here's one I wanted to make sure and bring up and talk about a little today. It's it's you see this every once in a while. Joe Kennedy says his constitutional rights were violated when he was suspended from his coaching job. For praying at the 50-yard line after high school football games in western Washington State. Every American should be able to have faith in public and not have to be worried about being fired over it, he said in an interview. Kennedy, a Christian, says his prayers were meant to fulfill a covenant to praise God after every game, win or lose. I think it's important to keep our promises, especially to God, he said. On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court will take up Kennedy's uh, appeal in the latest religious liberty case to come before the justices. So far, the court's conservative majority has been moving to expand protections for religious believers. For critics of Kennedy, the case represents a possible first step toward reimposing prayer in public schools and blurring the lines between church and state. But supporters counter that the case turns on free speech rights. But let me, let me ask this, because there's something jumped out of this story at me. <clears throat> Is the debate surrounding church and state confusing mandated prayer with allowing prayer?
1: I think some people are confusing it. (laughs) I have been reading up on some of the recent district court decisions. There was one in North Carolina and one here in Michigan, because I had questions about the way the invocation was being handled at our Board of Commissioners meetings. Yes. And I expressed my concern. Um, the, The situation in the court seems to be that if it's an official governing body or official government function, that the people who are in attendance, as in a meeting or a football game or players or students, uh, uh, should not be put in a position where they are coerced or feel coerced. For instance, in the the invocation at the Board of Commissioners, um, the people in attendance were asked to stand, and sometimes they're asked to bow their heads. That requires you to participate. Now, nobody's going to punish you if you don't. But in any crowded situation, most people do what everybody else does. Yeah. But I observed, because this is very clearly a Christian prayer to Jesus Christ, I observed that we have a Jewish prosecutor who is standing up there, and we have other people who may be in attendance who are Muslim or atheists or Buddhist or Hindus or whatever. They are in a position where somebody in authority is asking, not requiring, that they participate by just standing and bowing their heads. So I think the question is do the students feel that they are being coerced, or are they being coerced and expected to participate along with the coach?
5: Now, that's the view that some people have in this case with Kennedy. They said he's influencing the kids. And the, 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 the amendment, the, the clause, uh, religious clause says that you may, if you're a member of the state, you cannot in any way coerce or show the appearance of coercing other people to uh, or to establish a religion. Right. Uh, so you know, yeah. So that that's going to be problematic, and it's probably going to end up favoring uh, the school districts.
4: I was going to say, in this in this case, though, I, I, at least one story I saw indicated that the coach came out after the game was done. And right. the crowd was, was gone to do his praying, rather than during the game or during the halftime. Well, that's or,
3: different. Well, and the uh, other Mr. thing Longer, too, this article. This article suggests that um, that somehow his uh, this this coach saying a prayer after the game at the fifty yard line is going to lead to uh, reimposing prayer in public schools, and I don't I don't see I don't see a clear line between A and B there.
1: I don't see that either. Only if it allows allows for the school district or the people in authority to impose it. If the decision makes it possible for that to happen, the court won't order it, but they can make it possible. And I think the question I had was, were the students or the the athletes in attendance with the coach when he did the prairie?
5: Yeah, I I understood that there was one or two that kneeled out with him, but... uh...
4: But my,
1: that my impression the was the crowd was mostly
5: gone.
4: I believe if I heard, yeah. if I read the story correctly, that the crowd was mostly gone. The game was over, and he or and a handful of students, I gather, went out to the 50-yard line. That was my understanding.
5: This is a highly technical situation.
4: Yeah. So I, what, I guess what I'm thinking is I, I can see the court making a very narrow ruling here that may not reach yeah. beyond that particular inc- incident in that particular yeah. school district.
1: Well, the way I read the court case is it all depends on the facts and circumstances of a particular
4: case.
5: Yeah. Well, what it will uh, what it will happen here is that it will go back and question that kneeling thing that the athletes had, whether
4: they oh, yeah. come yeah. up and,
5: and kneel there.
4: Well, that's and, not uh, religious. Were, not religious.
5: Yeah. Yes, it was. That was not religious. necessarily. But. You Here's kneel
4: protest. to protest over the... Well, uh,
5: that depends on how it's defined by the courts. And <laughs> if you ask somebody, they say, I pray to God first. I don't deal do to any man. I pray to God. And that's that was the issue with kneeling there.
4: By the way, I want that to take a look. Bob, they won't
5: kneel to the flag, but they'll kneel to God.
4: Bobby made a good comment. I, I'm struck by how, how many public meetings now are taking on this semi-religious atmosphere as they begin and i'm thinking the flint city council with a number of members not just eric but several others as well over the years and of course the county board of commissioners more and more it's you get almost a sense of a revival meeting occasionally in some of these public bodies
1: yeah i have and no
5: that's... problem with that i have no problem with that. Uh, i do i think the house and the senate does the same thing and well, well
1: they have a chaplain who's paid, and they usually pray just to God. They don't pray to Jesus Christ.
5: Well, I don't know, but somehow they kneel and look up, and, and it, it appears to me the same thing. But I know. Well, the Senate and the House
1: just... are not the public. They mm-hmm. are not the public.
5: Oh, the, they represent the public.
1: But they are not the public,
5: Henry. Yeah, they're not the public, but but just those meetings are community.
3: open to the public, aren't they, Bobby? Mm-hmm. Those meetings are open to the public, aren't they?
1: Yes,
3: the they Senate are. in the House. Yeah. yeah, Some, yeah,
1: usually, but that doesn't mean that they are the public.
5: But you gotta, you don't have, a, you haven't had a court case to decide how we define that.
1: No, the issue, the issue for me is. is the issue for me is when you've got somebody up there praying to Jesus Christ and advocating for us to recognize that Jesus Christ gave his life for us and all this other stuff, that is a Christian prayer. If you get up and say, dear God, look down on us and help us you know, work together to solve our common mm-hmm. problem, that's a non-denominational prayer. That doesn't have, yeah, that but could so be anything.
5: Some, some people define God as Christ. You know, well,
1: that's funny well, because Christians this, do it in their own mind, but not in a public prayer conducted in a government function.
5: Well, I concede you won again. I'm
3: gonna, Thank I you. I can't. <laughs> well, hey, I if we can, I think I'm right. if 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 we can get that kind of resolution, then please somebody <laughs> tell me what the hell is going on in Florida?
5: Yeah, the, yeah. So what's what's going, going on in, in Florida? I only conceded.
4: The public hasn't conceded.
3: Disney and and DeSantis, yeah, D- Disney what? and
4: the governor take going out after each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's going to
3: hit them in the pocketbook, so There's well, the you revolution. know, that's such yeah, a
4: yeah. yeah all, all the other local governments are going to pick up the tab, <laughs> for
3: that's such a weird fire
4: protection and all that.
3: That's such a weird convoluted uh, situation there because you've got DeSantis, who's a Republican, who. Traditionally stands for a big business. You've got Disney, which is one of the biggest businesses in the country. But they tend to accept and adopt some causes and beliefs that aren't necessarily consistent with Republicans. So now you've got a Republican taking on a big business. It just seems <laughs> like it's, it, it's, it's a little too complicated for me to figure out.
1: It's, uh, it's, I, a, I it's kind of of an extension of. This,
4: go ahead, go ahead, Bobby.
1: Oh, I was, when I read about what they had done in legislatively to allow Disney to have their own little turf that they oversee and that they tax and that they manage, it's just an extension of a special taxing district, isn't it? Yeah, it's like the Vatican. Well, no, it's not quite like the Vatican. A but
5: <laughs> yeah, it's like a government within a.
1: That, but well, but there are, within, within many communities, your downtown businesses band together and they're, they're given legislative authority to have a special taxing district to provide money, to provide, you know, flowers and trolleys and all of the things sure. that are going to make the downtown better for businesses. Yeah. It's a special taxing district. Or you can have a special taxing district that taxes just to provide money for the local library, you know.
4: And you have, well, you one know, way, colleges commonly have their own their own police force within their within their campuses.
3: One way one way to look at it is that Florida was willing to give Disney whatever they wanted when they took over Swampland. Now that they built it into something, they want it back.
4: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to cost them some serious money if they do that. Uh,
1: well, I'm waiting for that, that other shoe to fall because I just wonder what DeSantis is going to do to deal with that because the Floridians are going to be hit in the pocketbook.
4: Yeah, you know, I, I kind of wonder whether or not that was kind of a an opening gambit for a presidential bid for DeSantis on, the, on social issues by beating the drum on the uh, the gay rights business, whether or not that was a way of opening the the gambit for a presidential run. And he's going to torpedo
1: him himself because people are going to pay more taxes.
4: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's and he's getting some republican blowback from florida as well apparently from some of the the local governments.
3: Yeah, I don't think I don't think the disney people are going to come to his fundraisers.
4: I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Maybe not. Mickey
4: won't be there. You got Mickey and Goofy against so you're in trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, hey, we've got to take a uh, a break coming up here in uh, just a moment, and then we'll be back with the final uh, segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics, which, of course, is those weird and wacky stories that we call the X-Files. Um, in the meantime, if you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LP-FM in Flint, they are a broadcast service of uh, the Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. And uh, if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll be back with the X-Files in the final segment of today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program coming up right after this.
1: Hey! <laughs> this is the unknown comic,
3: and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now.
1: Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
3: And hey, welcome back, everybody, as we uh, wrap up today's edition of Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program with uh, one of my favorite segments, The X-Files, those weird and wacky stories that are Strange but true. Um, And we begin with uh, a Florida bride and her caterer were arrested (laughs) on Monday for allegedly lacing food with marijuana during a wedding last February. The bride, Danya Glenny, and her caterer, Jocelyn Bryant, are both facing charges of tampering, culpable negligence, and delivery of marijuana, according to uh, Orlando's Fox 35. Uh, Bryant of Jocelyn's Southern Kitchen describes herself as a holistic chef, according to (laughs) her website. The wedding, which was attended by around 30 to 40 guests, took place at the Springs Clubhouse in Longwood, Florida. When deputies were called to the scene, they spoke with a male guest who reportedly requested an ambulance because he was feeling weird and said he felt like he had drugs inside him. Um, according to WESH several other attendees were transported and treated at local hospitals after they experienced sickness and feelings of being high or stoned authorities collected multiple (laughs) items served at the ceremony including chocolate-covered strawberries bread cookies brownies pudding shots and a handful of lasagna the police report said the lasagna and a piece of bread tested positive for THC. Should marijuana be used only as a garnish at fine dining events?'
1: last week we
5: it seems to me last week we had a student there was a story you told us last week about a student bringing something to school and was, uh, it their was a uh, tequila. <laughs> sure. It was Red tequila. Roster. It was, it was yeah. uh, uh, mixed <laughs> drinks.
4: Um, yeah. Oh yes. Uh, what goes around comes around. <laughs> well, wasn't wasn't there a thing around here where some students got got some cookies that were laced with marijuana? Yes. It was in Mount Morris. I'm not sure the the area though. It might have. Been I
5: don't remember the area, but yeah, mean, know I, I
4: saw within the last week or so. Uh, and I think the the, the, the kids you know did, didn't even know it was marijuana, but. I think one of them got expelled or suspended because of... I don't the think
5: th- the kids really cared
1: after they had
5: a bite. <laughs>
4: yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I
1: think you should check out the teacher's lounge. If I was a teacher, I'd have those. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. make it the
3: day.
1: It <laughs> <laughs> the day much nicer.
3: <laughs> right. Well, a parent dressed as the Easter Bunny inadvertently handed out colorful eggs stuffed with condoms at an elementary school in Austin last week most of the eggs were filled with candy but a handful contained packages of condoms the Houston Chronicle reported according to a tweet thread uh, among parents it appeared to be an innocent error per the Chronicle One of the parents who works at a pharmacy had been dressed as the Easter Bunny for a safe sex presentation at an area clinic. She she kept the costume on when she arrived at the school to pick up her second grader and was immediately mobbed by the children. In response, the woman handed out eggs filled with candy. When she ran out, she asked her husband to get more, and he apparently brought back some bad eggs. Chaos ensued, Jensen noted in a tweet. The school district is now reviewing its safety protocols. George P. Bush, a candidate for Texas Attorney General, went down a rabbit hole over the incident, calling it disgusting <laughs> and illegal. One parent told Bush that he should have read more about the incident before inappropriately blowing up. <laughs> I, how would release kids? <laughs> is, it, is it a little ironic that a bunny was handing out condoms? <laughs> Seems appropriate.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that a high irony. I yeah. had fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It sounds
5: about right. It matches. It fits the decorum. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
3: well,
1: if the a... kids were young, they probably thought they were balloons. And if they were older, they probably <laughs> knew what they were to be for. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Well, a woman who accidentally dropped her cell phone into the hole of an outhouse in a national forest and fell in while trying to retrieve it Mm. had to be rescued by firefighters in Washington State. Brennan Fire Department Chief Tim Manley said the woman who was at the top of Mount Walker in the Olympic National Forest northwest of Seattle had been using her phone when it fell into the toilet on Tuesday. How about this name for a fireman, uh, Tim Manley? Um, Manley said she disassembled the toilet seat and used dog leashes to try and get the phone and eventually used the leashes to tie herself off as she reached for it. That effort failed and she fell into the toilet head first. They didn't work very well. And in she went. Manley said the woman was alone and tried to get out for 10 to 15 minutes. Reunited with her phone, uh, she called 911. Responding <laughs> firefighters, passed, At least she had
4: her phone. <laughs> yeah,
3: firefighters passed her blocks to uh, stand on to reach a harness, which they used to pull her out of the vault. The, the Brennan Fire Department said the woman said she was uninjured. She was washed down and strongly encouraged to seek medical attention after being exposed to human waste, but she only wanted to leave, the department said. I've been doing this for 40 years, and this was a first, Manley said. <laughs> <laughs> and part, I hope she put it in front a bag of rice. <laughs>
5: Yeah. I'm surprised that she didn't die of asphyxiation because so much carbon dioxide is generated in that process. Uh, you know, the part of oxygen, it just makes so.
4: me not want to want to go there. That's yeah. right. That's right.
3: Well yeah, as Paul mentioned, it's great that she had a phone to call for help, but yeah. why did she have dog leashes and no dogs? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, there's a question. Yeah oh lordy i
1: was primarily thinking i would just let my phone go you know (laughs) yeah i would
3: too i'll tell you if if my phone approach him if i had to fish my phone out of a uh, uh an outhouse i don't think there's enough rice yeah.
4: No. <laughs> yeah. That's true. You know that old trick to
3: dry out your phone if it gets wet, you know, you put right, it in right, right. I don't I don't think there's enough rice to make me want to use that phone again. Right. No,
1: I would just write that off. I think I have
4: insurance
3: on mine anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, that wraps it up for uh, uh, the X Files and armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program. And before I before I thank our our roundtable participants, I want to say thanks again to uh, my guest uh, this morning, um, Ari Rabin who who was um, he's the author of a new book called The Fighting Soul on the Road with Bernie Sanders. He was uh, Bernie Sanders' uh, deputy campaign manager for the twenty twenty uh, uh, presidential campaign and it was a very interesting conversation in fact I wish mm, we, that would be interesting I yeah we, I,
4: heard, I heard the last part of it i,
3: I, I wish we could have gone longer i was, I was yeah. just getting warmed up he was uh, engaging and had some fun stories and some great observations about relationships between bernie and some of the other candidates there was a field of 20 when he started uh, the debates for that but anyway yeah. i, I want to say thanks to um uh, Bobby Clayton Walton, it is always a treat when you join us uh, for Armchair Politics. Thank you, even though we ended it on a stinky note. <laughs> <laughs> good good catch, Bobby. Um, yeah, You know, I, I always know when I start to show that somehow it's going to end up in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, good one good one <laughs> but I, but I I definitely want to say thanks to my round table regulars uh who appear every week on this show and it's such a treat to have you both Henry Hatter thank you sir and, You're welcome, sir. And uh, and Paul Rosicki, thank you. And thank all of you for Always coming to last Wednesday to thank uh, we little... Want to that, Bobby that was a good get-together. That was a very, very Bobby nice get-together. Because Bobby makes
5: us better. You know, Bobby, she argues with us, but she makes us better. <laughs> oh,
1: thank you, Henry. You make me better, too, because you give me somebody to argue with.
3: <laughs> well, thank you all, and... Uh, That's uh, Smokin' George Winters, tickling the Ivories. Let me know it's time to head on down the hall to the living room. But I'll be back uh, with another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Tomorrow we'll be uh, remembering the Holocaust with some uh, special interviews from the archives of the Tom Sumner Program. In the meantime, good night, everybody.
0: The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show